Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Bab. Uh, hello there. That's hello in Lithuanian. Ah, uh, okay then. Yeah, hello there. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I am absolutely groovy, baby, because this is Bearback, the podcast where we navigate our lives together as a bear couple. And explore the quirks of our respective cultures. Groovy. Uh, <laughs> groovy, baby. I mean, yeah, what, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, why, why, suddenly you're, why suddenly you are a, a US actor trying to do a fake British accent. Can we just start the podcast, please? Okay. I'm Ben, and I'm British. And I'm Benja, and I'm Argentinian, and doubting that you are British, considering that you are doing Mike Myers' accent. Well, this week, (laughs) it's quite pertinent, actually. We are being total lovies, and we'll be discussing all things acting with rising star Will Jackson. He'll be talking about how he got into the biz... And his incredible one-person show, Yours Sincerely, as well as what's coming next. So after seeing Yours Sincerely ourselves, we decided to extend our invite to Will to come and talk to us about it. Yeah, and he's coming round to our house and we're going to see him in the flesh once more, but in our home, not acting, just being himself, which will be really, really exciting. But before all that, what have we done this week? Okay, so... Uh This is another one of those weeks where um, I, in the back of my head, think maybe I should start pushing back when you want to take me places. <laughs> so this week we've been to the Bosch Cosmopolitan. Um, what else? What else is it? Sunny. Well, we arrived in the dark. It wasn't that sunny. Well, yeah, it wasn't. But we've been to Scunthorpe. Yeah, I took Ben Hur on a romantic night away to sunny Scunthorpe in the northeast of England. It's in North Lincolnshire and it's famous for having a massive steelworks. Romantic. <laughs> and I took Ben Hur for a ride round Britain's largest industrial railway. But before that before that indeed I literally went into Google. We arrived there the night before. We decided to stay the night before had a really nice hotel and I literally just typed in what is the best place to eat in Scunthorpe? And mm-hmm. I think this was the third one down because the first one was like an Italian restaurant. And we've, you know, we've done Italian. I think the second one was like pub British food. The third one was a Lithuanian restaurant called Klumpe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Sorry if any Lithuanians took offence from no, that. No, don't be sorry. Just ask any Lithuanian listeners that are willing to send us a voice note telling us how to properly pronounce the name of that restaurant. But it does translate as clogs. Like clogs, like the... The wooden Dutch. shoes. The wooden shoes, yeah. Well, we assume that they're Dutch, but maybe they were Lithuanian in origin, mm. if, if a Lithuanian restaurant is called clogs. Who knows? And it was in a very unassuming side road, just outside the town centre. There was tinted windows, so it looked closed, but when we went in, it was obviously very brightly lit, and there was another family already eating in there, although they left very quickly after we arrived. Bueno, pero eso es... Casual, no causal. 
Obviously, fluent Spanish speaker here, I know what of that course. means, but do you want to translate that for the non-Spanish speaking <laughs> yeah, yeah. audience? Yeah, it's not for you. <laughs> so basically, what I'm saying is that the fact that they left shortly after we arrived was coincidental rather than caused by us arriving. Well, one would hope so. But this restaurant just, I mean, it gave me life. It was clearly another type of restaurant before it was a Lithuanian restaurant. It felt very Hawaiian when we walked in. There was like a tiki bar where all the drinks were served at the front. See, I had an impression very much of being like a wooden log in the middle of the forest rather than a tiki bar. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, there was a lot of wood. There was a, a lot of wood. of wood. I mean, you talk about touch wood. You were literally sitting on it, touching it, breathing it in. It gave me wood. <laughs> it's not that hard to let that fear. Mm? There was music blasting extremely loud. I mean, it was almost like we were eating in a disco. They had a Lithuanian radio station that was playing. Fantastic radio station, hits across Europe. I mean, there were some real bangers from Eurovision yesteryear called Relax FM. No adverts, no DJ, just banger after banger after Europop banger. So, of course, we were loving that. And the food was just incredible. Oh, the food was so good. But a lot. It was so much. So I'd done a bit of research before we got there, and I really wanted to try something called a Zeppelin, which is basically like a giant gnocchi. And it's stuffed. It's stuffed, yeah, with meat. And the waiter came over and she said that it was quite small, so we needed to order a couple more dishes for our starter. So we ordered some pig's ears and some... Fried bread. Some fried bread. Because we're fat. And then we ordered a main course each. I had a ham hock, you had... Jacob's platter. Yeah, which basically was like uh, two different types of pork. It was pork belly and then like a pork on the bone, like a pork chop. But she said basically this Zeppelin will be two bites and you're done. Yeah. It arrived. It was a full on meal. Oh, yeah, yeah. We could have had. So basically what we have as a starter is could have been a whole meal. The pigs here. I mean, there must have been about, I mean, 30 pigs must have died for us to have that starter. Oh, don't be mean. And then... <laughs> or let's just say that died for a good cause. And then the fried bread was basically a whole loaf of bread. I mean, it was loads. Yeah. So if we were pretty stuffed after the starters. And then when the main course arrived, the waiter brought the main course out and she was laughing. It was that much food. She I... was laughing. She caught your eye. You started laughing. And because I had my back to her, when she put the food down, I started laughing. And we just laughed hysterically for about five minutes because I had never seen so much food on a plate in my life. So basically the food, so my Jacob platter had probably around half a kilo to three quarters of a kilo of potatoes, of roasted potatoes. Easy, easy, A lot of vegetables, mostly pickled vegetables. And then it had seven different pieces of meat. So seven, like, not massive steaks, but seven, like, pork belly steaks and the pork chops. It was so big. It came in a, it came in a large pizza board. It could have fed a family. It could have fed a family of four. Well, I mean, we've had three meals out of it because we literally had a few mouthfuls and we were like, no, we're done. We are literally done. So, bless her, she boxed it all up for us. Yeah, yeah. And let's say six containers. (laughs) There's our leftovers that we took from the restaurants. Two bags with three big, like like three fish and chips containers each bag. So six of those containers. And as I say, we've had two more meals out of it since we came back. The car now stinks of pork, which, you know, sounds a bit gross, but actually it's quite pleasant. Yeah. Driving back from Lincolnshire, I really enjoyed the aroma. (laughs) 
I know, and to be fair, it was delicious. It was absolutely delicious. It was very condimented. There was a lot of condiment there, but it wasn't spicy. It was really, really flavorful. Oh, I loved it. So if you are heading to Scunthorpe at any point, or you live in Scunthorpe, and you want to try something a little bit different, get yourself down to Clumpe Lithuanian Restaurant, but please go hungry and maybe just don't bother with the starter just go straight for a main yeah just go and again go with the family <laughs> yeah it has to be said though i mean it's really really affordable and well i think that was the thing isn't it like when you go to a restaurant you almost order based on what the price is like yeah so the starters were very cheap so we were like well they're obviously going to be small for that price yeah they were and like between four and five pounds yeah and the main courses were like 15 16 pounds so we were like, well, that's standard, what you would pay in a, you know, in a gastropub or something like that. So we just assumed that it was going to be a, a manageable portion. But yeah, no. even though we are on the larger side of life, Bab. That 16 quid main course could have fed four people. Absolutely, absolutely. So we went back to the hotel and fell asleep because we were so full. I still managed to have a full English breakfast the next morning, but, you know, when in Rome. <sighs> and then I took Ben Hurt to... Somewhere that I've been wanting to go for many years, but it's the Appleby Frodingham Railway. And they are a preservation society who operate on the steelworks site in Scunthorpe. And they give you a ride on a steam train around the largest industrial railway in Great Britain. It was so exciting because you were basically on this little train going into all these like little warehouses and seeing all this molten metal being transported in these torpedoes and just basically doing something like really unique. I mean, I was living for it. We got the best view on the train. So we were at the back of the train on a guard's van. And I think at one point you thought you were Ava Perron. You were like ready to throw some money off the back of the train. Yeah, no, I was like saying hello, you know, very Evita style. Absolutely. On the back of the train. Absolutely. I mean, you, you could have rocked that look quite well, actually, I would have thought. It was really entertaining. It was really good. I enjoyed it. And you would think that that was something that uh, was for both of us, considering that you like trains and I like steelworks. Now, it has to be said, I used to work in steelworks. So I've been inside a sort of steel shops. I've been, I've seen up and close the furnaces, been really close to the molten steel being casted. And to be fair, and I've seen the rolling mills and I love that. I, I love a good steelworks. The only thing that I would say about this one is that there was a lot, because it was on a train, there was a lot of outside so it was a lot of outside of buildings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I, you had a building that was like a mile long. So it's really, really interesting to listen to it. But I'm kind of like peeking through the doors and seeing if, seeing if I can see some molten steel somewhere. <laughs> which we didn't see a lot, Yeah, but we? that wasn't the part of the trip. The part was that you get to experience this railway, which is completely different from any other heritage railway in the country that you can go on. I mean, we were going up sidings. The guy was jumping on and off the train, changing the points. We saw the operational railway that is moving the raw materials and the molten metal around the site, you know, and it's incredible. These trains, these are full-size trains that are moving around the site and they are operated by remote control. Like, it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. So you would have said that this was like a a 50% Ben, 50% Ben country, but actually it was kind of 80-20. But, I mean, if you want a unique day out, you know... it is interesting. It is really interesting. And if you like trains, it's even more interesting because it's not just going through the countryside, if you like, where you just see a couple of trees. You you are looking at a 
full-fledged industrial installation. So it, it is really interesting, and I really, really enjoyed it. I just wanted to more molten steel. <laughs> well, maybe next time. But Andrew, who was on our carriage, looked after us so well, and he did a fantastic commentary as well. So that is true. For somebody who knows very little about how steel is made, how a steelworks operates, it was very, very useful for me. So I really, really appreciated it. Do check them out. They've got a website, afrps.co.uk, if you want to book your own trip on Great Britain's largest industrial railway. Dear Cat, the reason I'm writing you a letter is because I'm trying out a new project. Today, I acquired 300 second-class stamps. I might have accidentally stolen them from the post office. But I'm planning to make every single one count. I'm going to write letters. I'm going to write to everyone. To Cadbury's Chocolate Company, the National Health Service Blood and Transplant Division. The first boy I had a crush on. I googled you, found your Twitter, uh, found your LinkedIn through that, and through that sort of company you work for there, and then found their address on the company website. <laughs> it's not that weird. Well, Bab, this week we are delighted to welcome a true acting triple threat, writer, director and performer, Will Jackson. Now, he's based in Birmingham in the UK, for those of you who are not from these lands. He is artistic director of the award-winning Quick Duck Theatre, associate artist of the National Youth Theatre of Great Britain, and even studied clowning at the highly prestigious Le Col Philippe Gaulier. Have I said that right? I mean... Gaulier? That was definitely how it should be done. Yes. Thank you. I, don't, I wouldn't have offended any internationalists. Currently touring the UK with this incredible one-person show, Yours Sincerely, and with a bunch of five-star reviews to his name, he's managed to find a little bit of time to pop round to our house and have a chat with us here on Bareback. Will, thank you so oh, much. Oh, no, it's my absolute privilege, and I'm so glad we finally managed to make this happen as well. I know we've been about this for yeah, a while. well, it would have been last summer that we yeah, saw your sincerely absolutely. and confetti as well. What have you been up to since we saw you? Oh my gosh! Well, <laughs> it sounds, it, like, it sounds you, like a lot. You know, I really got through Grey's Anatomy, and um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, I, yeah, bits and bobs. Uh, it's been really exciting getting uh, your sincerely out on its tour again. So I'm currently. As of recording, I'm going to rehearsals for that tomorrow, and it's a whole load of dates that were meant to happen back in 2020, plus some new ones, so that's really exciting to be getting into that, and been doing, working on the shows, but also doing some very glamorous behind-the-scenes roles that, you, you know, us jobbing artists must do. Um, have you ever heard of it? It's a very prestigious uh, position, exam invigilating. Uh, oh, so, yes, it was a really that hard game. That really fancy. I know. I mean, it sounds like you cannot write character at any point if you're doing that, can you? You can't really just burst out laughing. Well, yes, the kids do get a bit confused when I do do that. But no, it's a, it's a good fun. So I've been doing bits of that <laughs> between all the theatre stuff. But yeah, it's, it's been really good fun. Now, excited to go back on the road with you, sincerely. And probably the first question that I have yes. did McDreamy leave the show <sighs> I, I because I don't watch it so I, I don't after season three uh, okay, don't tell yeah. Shonda <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to still get into Bridgerton even though I think that ship sailed uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah no, it's good, good fun 
for people who are for people who haven't seen the show, tell us a little bit about yours sincerely. What is the show all about? Okay, twenty eighteen, I accidentally stole three hundred second class stamps from the post. So it actually happened. I can neither confirm nor deny on live recording for legal purposes. <laughs> you know, maybe it's based on truth. Maybe there's some fiction in there. Um, so I use the stamps to write letters, and I think it really plays on the idea of how we communicate with people. I know that, well, everyone here, we are so used to talking to people via text, WhatsApp, email. It's a very different world than we're perhaps we're used to. And it's exploring when you have the time to really think about how you're communicating with someone. Who are these people you're talking to? Why are you reaching out to them? So I use the stamp to write letters and these range from people from friends who I was drifting apart with uh, from it after we finished uni to family members to ex-hookups that might not have gone so well. Uh, <laughs> and it really kind of explores how we're all brought together a bit more through communication in times when we can feel a bit more isolated. So surprisingly enough, it's fitted quite well into a pandemic world that we're now in in terms of this idea of isolation and reaching out to people and having people reach out to you as well and what the the friendships that come from that really are so when did you write it then because when we went and um and said last summer it kind of definitely feel like uh, it was very suitable yeah. for a pandemic and for lockdown i wrote it with the support of birmingham rep theater back in 2017 so actually that's when i saw the stamps 2017 not 2018 i'm so sorry get my facts right oh my gosh the <laughs> wait, police wait, wait. are after me twice now <laughs> clarify may or may not have stolen may or may not have stolen them so possibly 2017 the thing is i lied about the dates so that they, they use this evidence brilliant uh, they could, uh, so the year 2057 <laughs> i am 19 years old yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, i started writing it in 2017 with the support of birmingham rep theatre uh, and had a really nice team behind me helping me create the show and then after that i've toured it to uh, edinburgh fringe in the 2019 edinburgh fringe the last one before uh, the world we we're in now kind of enveloped um, and was very lucky to get programmed for that into a real mix of exciting venues so i've been touring the show by the time this goes out i'll have done soho theatre in london and also the wow. Birmingham rap again Amazing. Um, but also some of my favorite gigs uh, and also have really helped keep me afloat during the pandemic through pubs and village halls on the rural touring circuit around England and you just get to really see the whole country and make a piece of theatre that is suitable for you know your inner city comedy clubs and theatres but also can still be a good news up at a local pub or community centre and having fun with that because I mean when the restrictions were still in place it was all about finding ways that we could still make live work happen so there were times when you were allowed to do work outside so there was a version where i'd be touring pub gardens and outdoor spaces with the show a very different version of what you saw in coventry and it's just been a real treat getting to just meet everyone around england and uh scotland and wales as well and it must be amazing as well to perform in all those kind of weird ways that you might never get to do again as an actor one venue was an old hsbc bank in wells that got turned into this queer arts cafe space like when are you gonna find yourself in a space like that just absolute magic and just see the rest of the country which you never really get to experience and all the different wonderful people so and genre wise how would you class uh, your sincerely because i think 
from my perspective, I, I think there was very emotional moments. There were mm-hmm. really funny moments. There were really serious moments. It, it, it was really a, a lot of emotions that we felt during that performance. So where would you class? I call it a queer coming-of-age comedy theatre show. So it's almost a bit like stand-up in how it's delivered. It's just me with some letters working through it. But it is an arc, and there is some story and some depth in there. And just really about sort of checking in on your mates and reaching out to each other. You never know what other people are going through, really. And that's I think that's where I'd put it. But I love playing with that, because I think that's where you get the good laughs, is where you go really deep. And in the same way that, like, actually to get people to really feel something, it's when you lull them into this light froth and then you can hit them with some of the harder bits. Mm -hmm. I mean, my favourite bit, and I'm not giving anything away here, so I'm not mentioning too much, but there's a a part in the the play where you write to um, a very famous department store. (laughs) And, I mean, that... Oh, are you talking about when I pitched a John Lewis Christmas ad? Are we allowed to mention? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. okay. Well, I didn't want to, but you... you, That bit for me, I was in bits at that bit. I mean, that was... What you do and how you make that work, considering, you know, essentially it's just you with a bunch of letters... It is just genius. Oh, cheers, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was one of the most fun bits to yeah. really get up on its feet. And I think as well that, for me, it kind of goes to show as well on how different theatre can be. Because I remember when you were doing uh, when you were doing, were doing that bit and you were sort of writing the letter, you would kind of make eye contact with uh, with the audience while whilst you were writing. You kind of make a pause and make eye contact. And that kind of helped the punchline as well, helps the, the choke. Yeah. And I think that you cannot get that other than being live and relatively close to the audience. And it's this fun thing because it's, I mean, unfortunately, I can no longer really pass for a 21-year-old version of myself like I used to. Um, yeah, me neither. <laughs> Hashtag 40. <laughs> uh, but there is something fun in looking back at yourself and sort of these letters or like old diaries you'd write however many years ago and looking back on it with a bit of tongue-in-cheek when I first did the show it was just reading the kind of letters aloud now I have to date them to make it very clear the world that it was in so like 2017 June this is this letter and I think there's some fun which can be played with the hindsight and it's 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 fun how the show has developed and grown over time with that as well even though the text hasn't changed and the people who've sort of influenced, shall we say, the play, do they know that they're in it? Have they seen it? What's their reaction been? Yeah, so there's... Um, okay, so to give context, for example, a, a recurring character, for example, is Kat, who is someone who I used to, in the play, share a house with in uni. In reality, Kat is about eight different people, and the text was taken from a mixture of actual letters but also facebook messages and correspondences all of the cats have seen the show they're all okay with it there's one character who i won't name but is based off of a few different one night stands that could have gone a bit better and again it's about five six different people but they haven't seen the show they might clock that some bits of it are them, but no one really knows it's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. them that are being referred to, so they're fine. There's a housemate in it who is a, is a lovely recurring character. Obviously, he's seen the show, and I checked in with him about it when I was writing it, because it would have been a bit <laughs> unfair. Yeah. But I think one thing I do really try to hold true to in the writing, I think there are characters which come across well. I think the biggest idiot 
is me. And I think that's something I really wanted to make sure of. And if there's someone I'm being rude about, it's because I'm being selfish or I'm being... Yeah. And having fun mm-hmm. with that. So, for example, the uh, the flatmate, the new flatmate has a, a new girlfriend who will, in quotation marks, in the play isn't a huge fan of. But actually, she does nothing wrong and is perfectly nice and yeah. pleasant. Yeah. And the humour is how will in the play is being very immature about the whole thing so it's quite fun playing a version of yourself and having to take the time to kind of navigate that and think of it as a character as well rather than being you if you know what i mean it's a it's a fun tightrope to kind of balance and it sounds like it's a lot of work and a lot of research to be done because you, know, you mentioned for example letters um, facebook messages or a text mm. And sort of all of these different people that end up composing one character. So what's that process like? It seems like months and months and months of work, really. Yeah, it, so it, I may or may not have accidentally taken some stamps in June 2017. <laughs> the first time the whole thing was up on its feet was the following summer. So it took a year of working around other stuff. And also like when uh, theatre artists are making their first show, you know, it's you've got to do it around other jobs and other other things to pay the bills. So that was how that worked. And it was quite neat doing something a bit more developed over a longer period of time. I mean, honestly, as with all things, as I'm sure you'll find no matter what the job is, once you've got a deadline, it all gets done in the last 48 hours. 100%. <laughs> so it, that's where it all does come into play. And that's where the cookie crumbles. But yeah, and I think uh, one thing that was really fun with the show was, I mean, it has had a very long shelf life which I'm very happy and proud of we hit over 71 performances wow. last year uh, this year it should be hitting its 100 by the end of the year and always trying to find new discoveries with it and new ways of playing it to make it fun not just for me but for the audiences and more relevant one of the letters is to the UK blood donation NHS about how back when the letter was written it was illegal for gay men to donate blood unless they weren't having sex the rules have changed but they're not completely gone so it's how yeah. how do i navigate that text keeping that text but keeping it relevant to a contemporary audience which sounds very logistically heavy and quite tight but then also things like okay well the style of the john lewis christmas ad has changed a bit over the last four years so yeah. how do we keep that current i mean i worked with some amazing people on it um to really make it fun i've had a few directors work on the show um who are other sort of people from the midlands including uh, lucy bird and anna hamali howard and then a fabulous composer and sound designer who in the john lewis christmas ad there is a christmas cover of fight for this love by cheryl cole yes and he has made it and it's on tom rackham's soundcloud wonderful composer and sound designer but yeah you can check <laughs> if you want to i mean i'm sure there. that 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 i'm sure life will imitate art at some point because Absolutely. That, w- that would make a really great pared down Thank acoustic you. You it's know. set in an optometrist's office. There are fish. There's <laughs> queer representation going on there. I could imagine you in the Cheryl Cole kind of, you know, military guard. Absolutely, as the receptionist in the optometrist's <laughs> office. Almost like a tin soldier on a Christmas tree. <laughs> we should but, be writing this out. Copyright, copyright, copyright. That's yeah. how that works, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting you describe it as, um, as a sort of queer production, which it very much is. But what, what I found really fresh about it was that 
it was unapologetically queer, in, but also in a way that it was kind of celebrated. It wasn't... It's not seen as a negative thing. Like, mm. no one dies. You know, a queer yeah. person doesn't die. There's no... A queer person doesn't get addicted to drugs. It was just, you know, this is a queer character who's having a great life, an interesting life, a great life, and, and, and is, you know, there was so much joy in that. And I think, you know, as queer people, we are much better represented on television now. But even when you think about such, you know, what we've had in the last year, like It's a Sin and stuff like that, like, it was heartbreaking. Mm. And, you know, life isn't like that all the time. Yes, life has its downs, but there's lots of ups as well. And I think that was one of the things from, that I really took away from that show, that, that as somebody who, you know, is, in, is part of that spectrum... Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, we can celebrate life for all the good things, not Absolutely. just not just the negativity. I think it's joy from for any unrepresented group who's marginalised is just so important because I think again, it's who we're making this work for, and I really try to pride myself on making work that right. I'm taking this show into a village hall. That 14 year old queer kid is going to have the time of their life. I'm going to make sure that the parents that they dragged along to the gig are also having a good fun and there's jokes for them and it's an entertaining hour, but it's for everyone. And I think one thing we've, we're slightly falling into a hole in now is when it comes to queer stories, it's all about coming out and all about explaining these identities for the sake of other people. But if we're in it, we know that. And actually, you know, Google's a thing. If they want to Google... Yeah. All, all these different definitions, people can do that. This isn't. Uh, this isn't. I'm. I don't want to be paid to teach people how all this stuff is. I want to show a fun story. Mm. And I think that's what we want as well as an audience is to, to is to thrive in that. And I think that it's time as well. I think that I, as Ben said, I think that it, there's far more representation, and it's important to show the struggles that queer people have had throughout the years. But I also think it's important to show that queer people have normal lives as well. That. Basically, you're telling a story in which the character happens to be queer. Mm. It's not necessarily the defining drama of it, no. the fact that, uh, that the character's queer. I'm just like you, but I like guys. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm so kooky. Uh-huh. Uh, that sounded yeah. so butch as well. <laughs> exactly, because I never actually cast a gay actor to play that role. <laughs> um, but that, then that's the thing, and I'm, I'm sure you found this as well, I think in lots of forms of media there's an acceptable way to be gay as well it's either and we live for this character it's the very and i say this with all the love very twinkish foppish effeminate you know we're talking mark and ugly betty like all this fabulous queer characters or sunny teaching devil wears prada or it's the love simon i'm basically like you bro i'm just a yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. who likes guys and it's as we've seen, you know, there's it's a wonderful broad spectrum out there yeah. and it's just time to celebrate. And I think the most powerful thing we can do is just exist in this space and tell a fun story. And yeah. and it's through humour and laughs that we get more people involved in sharing the experience and then other people, you know, who are not necessarily on the queer spectrum but may not feel that they can take up space can also take up mm-hmm. that the room and, and share stuff. And, you know, I'm very lucky... I'm very aware of the fact that in terms of a, a queer creative, I am standing on the shoulders of some giants who've done the work, paved the way for where we are now. I don't take that lightly. They've done the hard work. I'm very lucky in terms of I don't get much hate about my stuff. You know, I've only had a couple heckles, which is about the same as anyone else on any circuit. But I'm going to 
have fun and have fun with the audience and really celebrate the fact of where we are now and where we're going towards and I think it's so important to not forget that. And do you think that when it comes to um, representation or parts in the arts, I don't know, I kind, of, I kind of think that we are always used to see, uh, as you said, a certain image of gays, but I, I, I don't know, I kind of feel like in terms of bare representation, it's not as big. Mm. if you like so is there a difference yeah I think I honestly just think it's about getting everyone in that room you know what I mean and just really having making a seat for everyone at the table it's a really good point we don't have that much bare representation on the spectrum it's lots of very attractive skinny model actors on the television in these shows but there's room for everyone and we've just got to make these space for us and invite everyone else in as we're doing it at the same time. So I want to take things a little bit back now. Yes. Obviously, you know, you don't just become an actor, writer, director overnight. How did you get started in this industry? And, and where did it all begin for you? I loved going to the pantomime every year with my mum. That was a really big starting point And I was very lucky to be taken to the theatre and things like that. And that was really, really insightful for me. I studied theatre course at Birmingham Uni and whilst I was there I was doing quite a bit of stand-up on the side and I really enjoyed this sort of quite basic storytelling stuff and wanting to combine it with theatre and, and making work and the first show I did was just getting a whole load of mates together that I knew from uni who'd be up for it and we made a drag murder mystery disco in Digbeth. Oh my god, please revive now. Um, <laughs> if you have the money for 30 actors. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was, it, honestly, it was just nuts because it was, I knew if there was a year we could get away with just all of us going for it, we could. And it was, it was really good fun. And that show, it was literally called Magic Hour, the murder mystery disco. Magic Hour stolen from my favourite band, the Sister Sisters. Um, oh yeah, their album, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, in terms of like influence on the work, they are my absolute mecca in terms of just, they were the ones who I listened to on repeat uh, as a teenager growing up in terms of queer culture and learning about yeah. it and really opened a lot of doors for me and so that's always been there's always one Scissor Sisters song in every show and it's ah. sometimes hidden more often than others so like in yours sincerely there's a bit where uh, I work at a shoe shop and so keep your shoes on place which obviously ah. is a very different meaning in the Scissor Sisters song we're just like yeah, 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 yeah. little cute things like that so yeah Magic Hour the Murder Mystery Disco we put on and people would come in meet all these oddball fun characters in dragon it was great we had you know it, it wasn't it, now it's not as transgressive or surprising as it uh, people i think would find it now but you know it'd be women in cis and trans women in female drag and you know cis men in male drag but also you know it was all so blurred and fun and gender fucked and really cool way but also it was all this drag but it was appropriate for family audiences so we had families come to this wow drag murder mystery show where they try to figure out who the killer was in this nightclub and all this sort of thing and again the murder was never going to be about a queer hate crime it was always going to be something really stupid in this mad nightclub world but it went well uh, it got picked up by the national student drama festival and that's kind of what got me on the map in terms of making new work and making connections so i was very lucky with the journey of 
that show. Uh, and then Yours and Silly was the next kind of hit after that, and I've been lucky to tour that since. And then there were lots of other exciting things, and then <laughs> Miss Rona, Bay's oh, <laughs> little visit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's how it kind of worked. And I think, for me, it's always been about comedy. I love stand-up and sketch stuff. So I grew up in Cambridge, and I used to sneak in to the student theatre and watch the footlights. Wow, really? Doing stuff, yeah, so... And I mean, they've, you know, some incredible artists. Oh, so for example, like, Emma Siddy, who's now in Starstruck, I watched her do a sketch show in the ADC theatre when she was still a student there, and little things like that, and I was never part of that world. I was never going to go to a university or something like that, but it it was really inspiring in terms of watching all these amazing comedians but, who their stuff. But you say that, you know, there's probably a 14-year-old queer kid that's come and seen one of your shows, and in 10 years' time, they'll be sat on a podcast with people who are 10 years older than them. <laughs> um, yeah, just 10. 10 and, months? Yeah, 10 months. And, and and having that same conversation, yeah. you know, and that that's the wonder of art, isn't it? That, you know, it brings people together and it makes them see things so differently, so... But yeah, it's always been about comedy. I think that's what really brings people together. And also, I think comedy that is done with love and just stupidity, never really punching down it, because I think that's where it can get mm-hmm. tricky, but it's just including everyone in that space and having fun, being an idiot, I love it. Well, we talked about, you, you talk about stupidity, you're definitely not a stupid person, but you that made me think about the clown thing, because yes. you went to clown school in I France, did, didn't you? you? Yeah, trained, trained clown. Uh, yeah, I went to Ecole Philippe Gaulier for one of their summer courses between my second and third year of uni, which was incredible, and I got uh, I'd never studied abroad or been abroad for longer than, you know, Disneyland Paris. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but in terms of just living in another culture, and I was, I really brushed up on my French, really uh, learned all the lingo, so I knew how to get by. Un baguette, s'il vous plaît. Non, 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 non. Très baguette, s'il vous plaît. Ah, bon, 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 bon. Ah, douze macarons. Oui, 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 oui. Obviously, I'd walk in, that's what I'm English a mile off and just speak to me <laughs> in English. Um, I think that's something I always clock in most European countries. I don't know if you find this. Oh, no, it's so true, isn't it? Because they're, they're, they're so excited to try out their English yeah. because they're obviously, like, far better in English than, to be honest, we are speaking it ourselves, let alone a second language. Yeah, have a good look at yourself. <laughs> All right, Mr. I speak five languages. <laughs> well, to be fair, he's four, not five. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but thank you for that. <laughs> but uh, so, how was it as an. Uh, because I'm a foreigner, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. suppose I'm interested. Are you? And it's the first time you picked up on this. Not the part where we begin the podcast and I say, <laughs> I'm Benka and I'm Argentinian. <laughs> also, by four Wait, years. Ben? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also from four years of knowing me. To be fair, I do tell people I'm Argentinian in the, probably in the first 30 seconds of, of knowing them. But I'm interested in sort of performance yeah. in an international context. Absolutely. So Because I can imagine some things are, are, are so different, I suppose, that how do you... I think with that, it's really leaning into the physical side of it and really having fun with that. Because it's why, you know, Mr. Bean is one of the most widely programmed shows yeah. across the world mm-hmm. because it is just this physical comedy where you don't need to understand any of the dialogue that's going no. on and the audible sounds and things not necessarily the dialogue that you include in that and it is just having fun with the buffoonery and the way we move and having fun with that and it is that physical stuff that is very universal see because i'm of a certain age i remember and i was a big fan of benny hill yes 
in retrospect, a little bit sexist. A little bit. But, uh, but I, I found it when I was a kid, it was really fun. And again, it was no dialogue. So it was all performance. You mm. didn't need to um, understand the language to understand that humor. The physical element of it does work. But even with the same language, uh, because you mentioned that you toured all around the country. Yeah. Are there differences between, you know, your village hall and London? And yeah. is there different ways that humor or performances are interpreted? It's a really good point. And I think one thing I really clocked to myself doing when I started doing these places in more rural communities, and this was not a reflection on the community, it was a reflection of myself and my own insecurities. The show's very explicitly gay and queer. I mentioned having gay sex, not in <laughs> horrendous detail, don't worry, um, my, the ins and outs of my sex life, but I'd quite often sense myself and adapt things and change little words and try to fit into this mould. And that was on me. It was never on the audiences. I was very lucky with most of my programming. They knew what they were doing when they were booking my show. Mm -hmm. They wanted to have that show. But I would let that insecurity get the better of me. And I Mm. think it's... I think quite often, you know, we are... As queer people, we run to these big cities, your Birmingham's, your Manchester's, your Liverpool's, your London's, your Brighton's, your Bristol's, and we don't look back. But actually, not everywhere, but most places are coming along for the ride and are up for it and are excited to celebrate everyone. So I I think that's a big thing I've learned. It's not necessarily the audiences, but my own preconceptions Mm -hmm. I really had to challenge there apart from that it's like you know just making sure you're whacking up the volume a bit louder in the village hall so uh, Cecily around the back doesn't have to put in the extra hearing aid for when I'm lip syncing to Gloria Gaynor but, uh, <laughs> and I bet they love that in the village hall oh they love it they absolutely love it and um, there's uh, a bit where I open the show where I hand out some the first letter of the show is to an old university housemate and it ends with apologising for vandalising a Star Wars colouring in book that they owned with a whole load of balls and dicks, just penises drawn into the space of lightsabers. And it was, you know, really highbrow, witty humour <laughs> uh, that the British public. The intellectuals. Yeah, it's fair. Not everyone's going to get it. Yeah. But they did. <laughs> yeah, obviously, really basic humour. And it was something that me and my housemates did do to a housemate <laughs> who had just lost this Star Wars colouring book. And that's the litmus test. I know if they're going to laugh at that, we're good for the rest of the night. Yeah. But it's that horrible moment you hand it out and this people receive Darth Vader holding a dick and balls in the shape of a cup of a little straw that he's sucking out on. <laughs> and they just go, oh, oh night at the theatre. <laughs> okay. And you're like, okay, this is going to be a long hour. Um, but I think that can happen anywhere, but most of the time everyone's along for the ride. So you're still out on tour with Your Sincerely. Yes. But you are kind of developing a new play, yeah. which we've seen as well Absolutely. in the early early stages, yeah. called Confetti. Yes. And again, I mean, we only saw the sort of in-production version, but what a who. I mean, Aww. any play you go and see and you get a party bag when you sit down is a play that I want to go and see again. I mean, it's just brilliant. So tell us a little bit about Confetti. Yeah, I was really keen to make a niche after Yours Sincerely, and I was really keen to stay away from the autobiographical stuff. And I'm sure you find this as podcasters as well. There's only so much you want to share about yourself in a safe way, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> it's probably that 0.1% that we don't tell the audiences. Like, they don't know when we go to the toilet. Yeah. And, uh, don't I worry, mean, I've timed it and I'll be tweeting it after the show. Um, we do have bound, some bound. Yeah. Um, and also, like, to be very honest, like, since you're sincerely up, most of my life has been touring your sincerely, yeah. which has been very lucky and, like, you know, and then dealing with the pandemic, which we've all had to do in very different ways, but I wasn't ready to kind of unpack that. And also, I think I, we're going to have some very quick turnaround stuff, which will be very high quality, but I, I don't think it's going to be for a few years that we'll get some really great art about the pandemic mm-hmm. with reflection, because we're still in it, you know, it's, yeah. it's still figuring it out. So I wanted to write something very fictional, and it was very much a love letter to the queer characters or queer coded characters would see in TV and film, like your marks in Ugly Betty or, you know, all these all these characters and carving away for me to have a character like that. So that was one stimulus for it. And also just looking at the idea of a rom-com and what would it be like if we just followed the gay best friend's journey through it and what would his adventure be. So Confetti follows Felix as he organises his best friend's Helen's wedding and he is her mate of honour. And we follow from the surprise hen party throws for Helen all the way up until the wedding and he has a little secret romance of his own and oh don't say anymore and how it how it happens and there's a Zumba class I've said too much um (laughs) honestly it's so good and honestly that ending I was I was in bits front of up I, know. I was in absolute bits. <laughs> to be fair, I needed the party bag. In a good, bag. In a good way, yeah. obviously, in a good way. I did get use of the party bag before we left the uh, the theatre. One was at the end, because it was... Again, it, I, I, I'm not going to spoil it. It was a really, 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 really good ending. But then, before that, I was quite nervous at the beginning. Because you I think we can spoil... We won't spoil the ultimate surprise of it, but we do play some party games as part of the hen night. Exactly. And the thing is, is <laughs> I was really nervous, because... I've never been to a Hindu. It's okay. This is a safe space. We can go through our insecurities. So the thing is, is I didn't want to ruin the play. I don't. I didn't want to. <laughs> oh, bless you. I, 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 and the thing is, we, we started playing a party game, and I had no idea what the party game was. Now we should probably trigger warning this. If anyone has had a difficult experience playing past the parcel, there are online resources out there to help. I know. Um, but the thing is, like, I was literally, we were playing past the parcel and I was, on one hand, trying to pass this parcel around the audience, and then on the other hand, explaining to my boyfriend what the game was. Yeah, and I was like, what do I have to do? What do I do? And again, I just, I didn't want to ruin the game and, no, you, you know, ruin the play. perfect. And so, I'm intrigued, so, for you growing up, because past the parcel isn't necessarily a hen night game, it's something that we'd play as sort of children's parties. Yeah. What would be some sort of children party games that you might play going up. You just put the, all of the kids in the yard with a ball and let oh, them kick themselves. I should do that for the next one. There oh, we yeah. go. <laughs> that, that's kind of what you do. You give yeah. them a lot of sugar, loads of sugar, then you always need a piñata. Yes. But past the parcel is like a British piñata, Yeah, isn't it? I'd agree. Yeah, you yeah, just yeah. don't hit it. You carefully open a layer at a time. <laughs> yeah, it's very British, actually, when you think about it. It's, now, we pass the present around because it's it's not my birthday, but I still need a present because I'm British and I'm going to open up one layer. Yeah, and also, it's like, I don't hit things. I'm going to very politely pass the pass the present <laughs> well, you say to the person next to it. We <laughs> just grab a stick and start going at an inflated balloon with candy inside. Pass the parcel does send a trigger off for me. Oh, my God. Gosh. This 
is a safe space. Yeah, this is a real safe... I'm so glad this is a safe space. So my mum used to work for a large supermarket... Well, I can say, she worked for Tesco's. (laughs) And back in the day when, you know, money was flowing around a lot more than it is these days, they used to have a Christmas party for the children of the staff. Oh, lovely. And we sat around and we played past the parcel and it was literally landed in my lap and the girl snatched it and the music finished. Not that you're bitter, but if... Do you know what she got? What'd she get? Snow White on VHS. The remastered Snow White. So how old were you at this stage? Probably about 11. You're over it, but if Jenny Maguire, you are listening... uh... (laughs) I don't think I am over it. I think about it... You know this thing, these thoughts that pop into your head that you really shouldn't think about, but you do think about them? I think about that quite a lot. Ben holds irrational grudges towards children. Yeah... It's, uh, we, you have it that sounds one. healthy. Um... <laughs> he has a grudge with where he used to live before with a neighbour around the corner <laughs> that was in an electric car, you know, a kid's car. Yeah. And basically looked at Ben funny and Ben still is not over that. The, I mean, this happened about six years ago. But was ago. that because you sold that child's VHS copy of Snow White? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, Maybe. But talk about a grudge. A girl looked at him funny and he holded a grudge. This is about six years ago and he's still not over it. Wow. I love kids. I love. I do love kids. You're yeah, making, yeah. making out like I'm like a really, you know... Ridiculous, irrational, <laughs> exaggerated, <laughs> over the top, but camp. Yes. Kids are fine. It's just when they look at me, uh, speak, <laughs> breathe, uh, are, are near me... All the normal things. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, enough enough about my my, my problems. <laughs> it's fine, Scrooge. I mean, Ben. Uh... <laughs> Stop it! You're worse than him. <laughs> um, confetti. So yes. I, sorry, and also yes, I should clarify. We did contact Rihanna, but confetti was not available. We did try to get the the branding on board, but she just <laughs> she was busy with other projects. She might be working on that new album. Who knows? But yeah, we tried to get. Well, the she's having a baby as well, isn't she? Interesting. A new grudge to develop. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> No, 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 no. Confetti. Sorry. So what we'll talk I'm re- about Rihanna later. Yeah, we'll talk about Rihanna. What I'm really interested in is, is this is obviously a new piece of work that yes. you're developing. As sort of casual theatre goers, I think we'll probably do... No, no, we, we love the theatre, but we're not in that world. When we go and see a play, we assume that, you know, somebody's learnt a script and we go and see the finished article. But actually... Speaking with you, it's clearly so much more than that. And I'm just kind of... Can you kind of give us a little peek behind that veil? Sure. Just to, just to say, how do, you, how do you start it? How do you, how do you write it? And then is it something that once you perform it and you've, you're in your groove, that's it? Or are we evolving yeah. constantly? I think it, uh, it really depends on the project. So for these solo shows, I've kind of, kind of hit a stride with how I do them now. But, I mean, it is all in the deadline. And so that Coventry show was my deadline. There's a scene involving... Oh, it's any more than stars. That was written on the day of that show. And I was reading it from the page because it was just... It got to the deadline. I needed that deadline. And for these shows, they quite often tour the festival circus. And a big part of that is actually to not annoy the venues programming you or the acts before or after you. You need to keep it to an hour tight so you can't run over. Uh, you've got to make sure you, people give you get their money's worth so you can't just do 20 minutes. They'll be like, um, excuse me, I'll have my £12 back, please. <laughs> so you've got to fit all these requirements as well. So I'm taking the show up to Edinburgh Fringe this summer. After the success from Coventry and got good stuff from that, we've been working with 
Stoke New Vic Theatre who've been really supportive of the work and helping there and also we did a little work in progress at the Old Red Lion Theatre pub in London so and now it's looking forward towards this coming summer in some previews and yeah it's exciting constantly learning and evolving and what needs to change so for example we're a big thing with yours sincerely which is all these letters is figuring out what order to put all these letters in because there is a story there but you could tell it a hundred different ways and yeah. even now for this tour we've changed the order from when you've seen it not much but there's just a tiny bit in the middle just to make it clearer and crisper and you only ever learn it through doing it watching it getting the feedback from the live audiences there and then with confetti i think the structure's there but it's focusing on okay but which characters are we bringing out there are all these fun characters in this rom-com from the bride to the best man to the groom to uh, felix's friends at work to the batty old aunt who does an acrobatic ribbon dance during the ceremony all these fun things it's like okay but what do we need to focus on what are the pinpoints here and a big thing as you've noticed so in that show the audience will get party bags which they use throughout the show how do we use that most effectively how can we find more fun moments that the audience that can really have ownership of the show because i mean at the end of the day it's a real privilege to do this stuff i'm lucky enough to be arts council funded for some of my work and audiences who come will have had a bad day at work or you know paid for a babysitter to come to the show and paid for a train as well as the tickets and all that so you've got a responsibility to make sure that you're evolving and making the work as good as it can be for the people coming to watch it so that's how that works i mean there are lots of tricks in the early stages so yours sincerely was all about letters when we were doing these work in progress things the script was written on all the letters <laughs> i would be reading it up felix has a very sassy clipboard which is very useful in the first few shows mm-hmm. of confetti uh, it's now off book but it was getting it there and all those tricks there and it's learning and evolving and that's why previews are so interesting exciting and unless you're really kind of working in the industry you're unlikely to see a show twice unless you really love it and want to go back but yeah it's life performance changes all the time and it's not until you get to something like a huge west end musical which is in its set in its stone because it's a really polished powerhouse that's been running for years and years and years that it really stays the same every night and little things like you'll get a laugh one night in a different place and you're like okay do i need to dig into that and see how that goes further but that's a joy and privilege of getting to do a show multiple times is just seeing what works and what doesn't and also i think what works in terms of it being a show a bit like a stand-up show it's to the audience it's storytelling to them whereas if it was just two people talking to each other in a room which is still beautiful I think it's a lot easier to figure out how all that works in a rehearsal room. But when it's live and you're feeding off the audience and they're telling the story as well, it's a different game. So another show Quick Duck are working on is a family show called Fashion Spice, which is also touring this summer. And in that one, the audience choose how the story goes. There are options. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's a so choose your vote. own adventure. <laughs> Sorry? It's like a choose your own adventure. Exactly. It is. It's a choose your own adventure. And so the audience are given very high tech spy equipment, which is two cardboard rolls and a red <laughs> cloth and a blue cloth, which they used to vote. And obviously that's a minefield in terms of like, I know. where are they going to vote? What do we need to rehearse to make slicker? What's, what, what, what can we bank on them maybe voting for this one? And it's trivial stuff from like, should this agent wear a blue jacket or a red jacket all the way up to, are we going to leave the secret agency service and go rogue? Or are we going to stick with the main character? Wow. All this stuff. So it's, and I think that's something I really like exploring is if we're doing theatre, why is it live? You know, 
if it could be a Netflix show, let's make a Netflix show. I mean, if someone wants to make a Netflix show with me, I'm very up for that. Um, but in terms of, I love theatre. I love that it's live. I love that it's getting people in the room. And especially, I think, I know we're still in the pandemic, but we're out of as much of the lockdown stage of it. We're in a room with other people and it's mm. so exciting to be in this space. Mm. And I know this can be a bit more deep than it needs to be, but I know for a lot of people in our age who might not be so religious oh you're so kind our age no but yeah, yeah we are we are hey, come on what box do you tick when you tick the age bucket darling i'm now 25 to 40 which i wasn't <laughs> okay we are in the same box yeah. then but <laughs> Just... yeah but i think that he's being generous because normally there's like a, a 25 to 35 and i'm on the next one which is the 35 to 45 <laughs> And Honestly, you were on that one as well. The day I turned 26, I had a cry because that was when you could stop getting cheap theatre tickets because there's always the mm. under 25. It was absolutely, absolutely appalling. I mean, you know, the fact that those are my problems really put <laughs> everything else into perspective. For people our age, for some people it is a very important thing, but we're a lot less of a religious society in terms of even if you are spiritual, you might not go into a church every week or a synagogue or a mosque you know it's a it's different for different people but we are losing that element but a big really cool part of that which has been part of society for hundreds of years despite any flaws people have with it it's getting people in a space Mm -hmm. and sharing a moment together and i think without sounding too pretentious theater does do that it gets people talking and sharing ideas and reflecting and going oh I like that I didn't like that in a way that not even cinema I don't think quite does because at least it's different and things go wrong I mean I did a show of yours sincerely in Derby just before Edinburgh which I can't live down I can't go back to Derby again it's I mean I love Derby but so I had there are these lamps which are part of the show which flash and are really fun and when I first did the show I got this really lovely brass lawyer lamp you know what i mean like a bank t- it had a green glass thing yeah obviously two minutes in i'm prancing around doing a lip sync i knock the lamp over and it smashes <gasps> we had to stop the show the stage manager had to come down sweep it up <laughs> i had to stand in a box which was covered in fragile tape because <laughs> i couldn't i wasn't allowed to go anywhere else they all thought it was part of the show and they, they, whenever I tweet, oh, your Sicily's going on tour, they go, how many lamps have you packed this time? But for them, they honestly think that I, A, have the budget, but B, it's all part of the artistry that there's a thing smashed in every show. Wow. It was. It absolutely was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. Abs- oh, absolutely planned. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just, it's these little, little things. And I think you're right. I think that I'm... Um, in a time where we are completely flooded by streaming services and uh, which are great like you know which are great and but because there's so much on there has to be a reason for something to be live isn't yeah. it for something to be in on in the flesh there has to be a differentiator really mm-hmm. so i i think you're absolutely right in terms that theater needs to give that Experience. And whether that's literally just live music, which is a really exciting integral thing, or if it's interaction, I think it's we have to really state our case and really, uh, really show why it's exciting and valuable, and get people back 
into the buildings because they can be quite scary for a lot of people who never been to the theatre. Like the fact that I mean, like past the parcel was intimidating. We have to make sure that these quite <laughs> scary buildings, let alone uh, party games, uh, are accessible for everyone. So yeah, it's it's a fun challenge and it's always exciting seeing new ways of exploring it. But you are back on the road, which is absolutely amazing. Beep, beep. So if people do want to see you smashing lamps, yes. where can they see you do that? Fab. So I think I'll just be wrapping up uh, a run at the Soho Theatre in London, or you might be able to come tonight. And I'm also going to the Gala Theatre in Durham, and also the Bristol Tobacco Factory, Mercury Theatre in Colchester, some really fab venues as well, I think Brighton as well. And all of the tour posts are available on my Twitter at will underscore underscore jackson underscore underscore i know i wasn't the first will jackson on twitter it's absolutely shocking mind-boggling but yeah it's all on there or it's the same handle on my instagram and i i tried to post there as well but i'm i'm not very good on instagram um <laughs> but, uh, you can also look at quick duck as well and all the tour dates are on there so and then same for the shows going up to edinburgh fringe so you can catch i can't believe you're going to edinburgh i mean you've done it before what's it like you know how there are roller coaster freaks i'm an ed fringe freak so I've been doing it for years. When I was 18, I worked box office for a venue and gone up with comedy troops and stuff and then started taking my own up, my own work up recently. I love it. And once you're in it, it's such a wonderful thing. I mean, it is the only festival of its kind. There are big problems with it, but also it is just the only place where people go and see seven, eight shows in a day and just don't bat an eyelid. Mm. And that's just the vibe of it. And it's so wonderful. It's a really melting hot pot and you know those kind of victorian world trade fairs where people would bring their magical inventions or you know a pineapple and everyone would gaze at it it's like that but for theater and comedy and music and circus and cabaret and it's this melting pot where you it's all of this exciting shows but it's also just for us touring performers it's our one water cooler moment in the year because we never really get to see each other unless we go and see other people's works or if we sure. live near them and stuff. So it's so refreshing. I was just going and seeing someone's work and then grabbing a coffee, finding out how they're doing, how they're making their work. It's a real, as an artist, it's really exciting and invigorating in terms of how it works. And also programmers come up, so you've got to be selling your show, not just to punters on the street to get tickets on, but also to get them to have a future life. Yeah, it's absolutely mad, but it's great fun. I've only been banned from one venue, which I'm not allowed to say because I threw up on some railings there when I was 22. Um, but it's fine. I don't need to be programmed at Summer Hall and I'm over it. Because <laughs> um, I know that you've both head up there yes. to watch up. How have you found the festival? Oh, I love it. I mean, you just, just described yeah. it in a nutshell there. I mean, it's just just such a... Fa- and it's, it's like... I was really lucky enough many years ago to go, I've been to a couple of times to India, and people say to me, what's India like? And I say, it's like everything is happening at once. And Edinburgh is very much like mm. that, but much more, obviously, arts. It is like, like you say, everything is coming at you, music, drama, comedy. And, you know, for somebody who loves that kind of world and loves going to watch things, you're like a kid in a candy shop, aren't mm-hmm. you? Yeah, it's not for the introverts. It's not. For yeah, <laughs> definitely not for the introverts. And the thing is, for me, I, that I've, I've been to Edinburgh during Fringe uh, quite a few times, and I went to Edinburgh any other time of the year. It's a different city. It, it's a completely different place. It's a completely different city, and it's so stimulating. And I think it's important to do your research to see what you want, what, what you want to see, because there's so much. 
But at the same time, for me, I found that the best and worst shows that I've seen in the Fringe have been a fiver to get in on some places that I was just walking by. I said, mm, let's go in yeah. and see what and see what what that's like. I've seen amazing things and definitely the most memorable shows that I've seen in Fringe have been some of those. Yeah. Not the big headliners, not the big acts. It has been the fiver that you pay uh, to see a couple of people do a show that you've never seen before. In the back of a bookshop or in yeah. the cellar of a... I think I know some people who had to do one in a Frankie and Benny's one year. Like, it's just ev- anywhere that could be a venue gets turned into a venue. <laughs> Frankie and Benny's, there's a first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it lasts. There's not many left, is there? <laughs> Um, so yeah it's it's good fun and you get wild audiences my favourite has been when someone brought their emotional support Sphinx Cat to a to a menu and I thought I had maybe it was an audience member heckling no it was just a cat mewing all the way through the show because it was hungry <laughs> and I mean I, I, I don't know how I come back from that because <laughs> I mean life imitates art isn't it yeah well literally on cue our cat has just walked into the room but, and he's um, eating so you probably can hear that on the recording because these microphones pick up everything he is not certainly not an emotional support uh, <laughs> support cat but will thank you so much for dropping by today no, we know how busy you are pleasure. you are clearly a man on the up please 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 keep in touch let absolutely. us know how you're getting on and really do not forget about us when you're on broadway because we want free ticks absolutely yeah. absolutely <laughs> And a pasta parcel. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks ever so much. Thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Bye. Well, Will's gone. I've just dropped him off at the train station. So safe journey home, Will. Thank you so much for coming round. And what a great guy. What an amazing future he's got ahead of him. And I, I, I wasn't, you know, just smothering his ego when he was here like I really feel like we've met somebody very special who's going to have a fantastic career and I really hope he doesn't forget about us because I mean, those free takes <laughs> what a great talent though what a great talent and you know we're so grateful that he took time out to come around and spend a bit of time with us have you seen Will in any of his productions? Have you seen Your Sincerely? Have you seen Confetti? Have you seen anything else that he's done? If so, let us know. We are at Bareback Pod on Twitter. We are at Bareback Podcast on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Just search for us, Bareback. Or you can email us at barebackpodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't, then get yourself to one of his shows pronto. I tell you what, though, one of the things that we didn't really talk about in this interview, what? and in fact, this episode as a whole, is our acting abilities. I, I think we need to come back to that mm. because we've had a bit of a checkered past when it comes to performing. Well, I guess that's something to discuss on another time. Oh, you're leaving the audience on a cliffhanger. I like that. <laughs> if you call... Well, you're kind of leaving me on a cliffhanger as well, because I know bits and pieces about what you've done in the past, but I'm not sure about your full theatrical history. Well, we don't really need to know everything about each other, do we? I do. I want to know exactly where you are, who you're seeing, who you're talking to, what you're doing every single second of the day. Now, that took a creepy turn really quickly. <laughs> anyway. I'm only joking. You better. <laughs> well, like a proper actor, we are now officially resting. So we're going to go and take a break, um, have a lie down, and maybe think about what we're going to do next with our lives. And check all of your messages in social media. Yeah, I love doing that. <laughs> right then, guys. Well, we will see you same time next week.
No. Or is it the same place? <laughs> same place. Okay. All right, guys. We are getting out of here. We will see you same time. Same place. Next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.